0: Normally, that means I'll be preaching on a platform next Sunday filled with all kinds of kids things, all right? And uh, so you'll have to come next week just to see how messed up we can make this auditorium. And so it's going to be great for that. The following week, we've got junior camp. Our junior campers will be gone. Of course, our teenagers just got back. And uh, then the last Sunday of this month is our 21st anniversary as a church. And it's just summertime at Coastline. And uh, I'm loving it. I managed to make it through the entire winter without a cold. And I got one on July 4th. Can I get an Amen. All right, Nothing like a summer cold, but uh, I'm feeling good. Not only did I have uh, NyQuil before I went to bed, I took it again at 3 in the morning. So I'm really flying high right about now. We're going to have a good time together uh, in church. But uh, I, I uh, with all that's going on, and as we approach this anniversary at the end of the month, I, I really felt it was going to be important for our church family in the middle of the summer to have a sermon series that I believe could kind of anchor us to that which God would have us to do. And we're beginning a new teaching series today that I've entitled Mission critical mission critical now i would think all of us have heard that expression we have a general idea of what it means it's it's defined this way mission critical means any person process or product that is essential for success of course We know the definition has to be applied to the context in which it's used. And so we can use some imagination to apply it to the various areas of our lives. There are ramifications to this definition. Uh, You can apply it to a family and make it work there. You can apply it to your job and make it work there. But the big idea, the concept, is that if we miss that, which is mission critical, we will fail in our objective. And uh, I am aware of a lot of the the business jargon today, as are you. I've almost always got my nose in the latest book that will have a primary application for business, and I'll see if I can redeem some of the lessons to use in ministry. But there's a lot of talk today, and there has been for some time, about a purpose statement and a mission statement and uh, uh, a vision statement and, and core values and all of these things, and I appreciate them all. Uh, They all have an appropriate place and they can be used well. Uh, I think, for example, of the purpose statement. That speaks to the why of a person or an entity or an organization. What is our purpose? Why do we exist? I, I think of a vision statement. That speaks to the what. What is our vision for a more preferred Future if we if we stuck to our purpose, what would the vision lead us to believe the ultimate outcome would be? And then we see mission statements and that refers to the how what is our mission? What is it that we're seeking to do together? For the sake of this series what I'd like to do is to take the purpose statement of our church because in our context our purpose statement also serves as our process statement. Our, our purpose statement reveals to us the why, but, but it also shares with us the steps through which we must go to get uh, to the what. And so we're going to go through this, this purpose statement. And, and the ingredients in our church's purpose statement are so important, so fundamental that if we miss them, we will have missed all together as a church family. So it's important from time to time to bring things right back to what is essentially the most important, to that which is mission critical. And uh, we have a great passage before us today. Don't I, don't I say that every week? And uh, I think any passage is a good passage, but we're, really today we're going to turn to one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. It contains one of the most well-known stories, not only in the Bible, but in the history of the world. It contains the, uh, the real life Biblical narrative of the story that we often refer to as David and Goliath, David and Goliath How many of you have heard of the fight between David and Goliath? All right, now I don't want I don't want to totally spoil the sermon today, but spoiler alert David won, right? Most of you know that David defeated Goliath and we're always excited when kind of the underdog comes in and wins a great battle but rather today than just focusing on the battle We're going to see the battle, we'll talk about the battle, but rather than just focusing on the battle, what I want us to do is kind of step back and analyze the entire scene. And I want us to observe the life of David as he inspired his nation to develop a heart for God. I want us to see in the life of this teenage young man what it was that he did that allowed him to become the world changer that God allowed for him to be. Now, this is a big chapter, and I'm not going to read all of it today. I'll mention some highlights along the way, but to get us started, I'd like to begin by reading in 1 Samuel 17 and in verse 1. If you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing. If you're glad you're in church, say amen. 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 Great songs today. I enjoyed every single one of them. Brandon, thank you for sharing your testimony with us. It's always great to hear our lives are are being touched by uh, the power of God, and I'm very excited now to come to this time, ultimately, that brings us together, where we can open the Word of God. I like to say it this way. Today, we're going to get in the book so that the book can get into us. And uh, in 1 Samuel 17, and verse 1, the Bible says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle. And were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Ezekah in Episdomim. Can I get another amen just for having tried that word? practiced it, but uh, if I mispronounced it, probably no one would know, right? But uh, we'll go on to verse 2 now. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side of Israel, uh, stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of a spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. I'm going to read on, but we get the picture. Uh, I've had the opportunity to be in this very spot, the Valley of Elah, and there's tree-lined hills on either side. On one side, the Philistine army's there. On the other side, the Israeli army is there. And, 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 and this giant from Gath, Goliath, he, he comes down into the field. He's nearly 10 feet tall, and he's got this incredible armament that uh, really was exceptional for that time. And he tells those in Israel, hey, send out your best man. I'm the best man from our side. I want to see the best man from your side. We'll have a fight. Why should all of the armies fight? We'll just have a fight, the two of us, and whoever wins, well, that will be the winner of the war. I want us now to go to verse 45. As you know, David emerges, and and, uh, we find an occasion in verse 45 where the Bible says, Then said David to the Philistine, He said, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beast of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass, when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slung it and smote the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So... David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Well, we read the beginning and we read the end of this chapter, but I I want you, if you would now, to just look at one verse right about in the middle. Let's look in verse 29. The Bible says there, and David said, What have I now done is there not a cause, and I wanna to speak to you today about this cause for which David lived. Our Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be in church today. Give us your mind, give us wisdom. God, shake us up. I pray that if there's lethargy uh, in our hearts that you would begin a work today that would clear it out. Lord, I pray that as a church, we would not do what comes natural for us to do, that, that is drifting, forgetting what is essential what's mission critical, Lord, may we, through this series of messages, reclaim that heart that you have for us and your work here, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It was December 29th, 1972, and Eastern Airlines had a flight leaving New York, going to Florida. I would imagine it was freezing cold in in, uh, the holiday season. People are going to Florida, probably excitement on the plane, happiness on the plane. The plane takes off, it's an uneventful flight. And as they make their way into the uh, area of of, uh, Miami, the pilot, he pulled the lever to lower the gear so that the wheels would come down, they'd have something to land on. And when they did that, everybody heard a sound and they thought for sure the landing gear had descended as it was supposed to, but the light that was to come on to reveal that that had been done did not shine. And so the co-pilot thought maybe the light is loose. He began to wiggle the light, and still it didn't come on. And and then the engineer said, well, maybe the light's just burnt out. Let me just remove the light, put a new one in, and and, uh, probably it will light up, and that will be the end of it. And so the engineer began to try to remove the light, and he couldn't get the light out. And that's when the captain who was flying the airplane decided what he would do is to lean over and kind of supervise and tell him how to do it. He gets involved in this. And and in the midst of all that's happening in the cockpit, we have a pilot, a co-pilot, and an engineer all focused on a faulty light bulb. And what happened is none of them did what essentially they were there to do. None of them flew the airplane. Through that process, the plane gradually descended until it crashed into a Florida swamp 101 people died on that day. At that point in time, it was the second largest disaster in in airline history. It was an incredible loss. And that horrific event took place because the most mission-critical element of flying, which is, don't forget to fly the plane, was missed. A lot of good was being done. They were all busy. I'm sure they were all sincere. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They probably had good hearts, but they missed That which was most important. In our lives, there are innumerable factors that can capture our attention. This happens all of the time. Sometimes our attention is taken off that which is good and placed on that which is bad. And that's always a a difficult thing. And it'll lead to a crash, if you would, in our lives. And then there are other times where our attention is, is on good to the neglect of that which is, is better. And we miss out on what God would have for our lives. But any time we remove our focus from that which is mission critical, we're headed for a crash in our, in our lives. For our church, we have identified our purpose. It's been with us since the beginning That which is mission critical for us as a church is to inspire people to develop a heart for God. To include them in a loving church family. And together to make an impact in our region and beyond for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to inspire people to develop a heart for God. We want to include them in a loving church family. And we want to make an impact in our region and beyond for the Lord. We want to inspire. We want to include We want to impact. In fact, let's say those three words together. Ready, begin. We want to inspire. We want to include. We want to impact. Let's try that again. Ready, we want to inspire. We want to include. We want to impact. So as we enter into this study that we're calling mission critical, I want to focus today just on the first aspect of that, which is inspiring people to develop a heart for God. I'll be speaking today to the heart of our church, but again, the application for this message will touch every part of our lives. If we apply what we learn today, we'll be better spouses, we'll be better parents, we'll be better employees and employers. It will touch every part of our lives. And, And to get us started, I want us to look to the life of David so that we can see how he inspired the nation that God eventually had him to lead. Of course, it took him years ultimately to accomplish the task, but we also know that the elements that were most useful can be seen very clearly early in his life. In fact, I don't want to seem unkind today. If, if you're here today and you're not old, you would hope to be one day. But I want you to know one of the dangers of growing older in the course of life, and certainly this is applicable to a church, is we uh, uh, we kind of get to forgetting what it's all about. We kind of get in a mindset that thinks, you know, my primary goal is to eat, drink and be merry. It's to live a life of ease. It's to avoid any sacrifice, any commitment, any pain. I, I, I just want to go through life in the easiest way possible. A lot of times we can learn a lot from young people that have a great sense of purpose, who say whatever it is that needs to be done, that's what I want to do to make a difference in my life and and for david very early in his life as a teenager in fact we see this demonstrated he had a crystal clear focus of what his purpose in this situation was and we see with very few exceptions that was the case throughout his life now as the epic battle unfolded we know that david single-handedly stepped before the giant he courageously used his slingshot to bring him down it was one of the high points of of David's life and and in many ways it was a turning point for the entire nation because years later David would become the king and people were still talking of this victory. He successfully inspired an entire nation to develop a heart for God But how did he accomplish the task of inspiring people to develop a heart for God? Here's the first element i'll leave with you today number one. He was big enough to do small things well he was big enough to do small things well. If you're still with me, say amen. Amen. Most of the time as we think of the story of David and Goliath as we call it, we think of David caring for the sheep and he's called to fight the giant and we think David was a shepherd and he went to fight the giant and that is factually correct. But sometimes in our haste to get to the battlefield, we forget the fuller context of the background. The fact of the matter, David was not a full-time shepherd in this moment in his life where he went to fight the giant Goliath. In fact, David was already serving in the court of Saul at this time. In fact, David had already been anointed by the prophet Samuel that he would one day become the king in the place of Saul. And so this was a moment in time in his life where he was young and of course still working part-time in his family's business, caring for sheep. But he was big enough to do small things well. His brothers had been sent to the side of the battle where uh, Goliath and his army were. And of course, they were too afraid to engage, and so David's father calls him, and, and he says, David, I want you to take some food to your brothers and to their captain. And what we read in this passage, had we taken the time to read the entire chapter, is that David, when he was asked this by his father, he dropped everything he was doing. He got up early in the morning, the Bible emphasizes that, and uh, he, he made sure his responsibilities were covered, and he obeyed His father. Now what makes this remarkable is the fact that David had already been anointed to be the next king of Israel. No, he was not the king yet, but he was a pretty big deal. He worked in the palace and he had an anointing on his life. He could have said, Dad, I know I'm the youngest son. But surely you can find someone else to do something as lowly as run lunch out to my brothers on the battlefield." They're not fighting anyhow. They're afraid. They're hiding in the weeds. And, and you can surely find someone else to do this. I've, I, I'm, I'm a guy that's working in the palace now. I'm a pretty big deal. I, I was anointed by Samuel the prophet. I'm a pretty big deal, Dad. Can't you find someone else to do that task? But you need to know today that those who inspire others are not selfish people. They're not looking to pass the buck. They're not looking for others to jump in and do what it is they've been asked to do. You see, by nature, they're others-minded. And David had a heart that said this. He said, I will do the seemingly small thing exceptionally well and trust God to use it and to use my life however he sees fit. Jesus spoke of this on one occasion in Luke 16. He said this, he that is faithful in that which is least, that's the small things, Jesus said, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Jesus is saying a faithful person is a faithful person. If you will be faithful and diligent in the very small areas, what you're really doing is you're verifying before God and others that you will also be faithful in the big things. And if you think you're too big in what we would call the little things, you're exempting yourself from larger opportunities that God would have for you in the future. Friends, if we hope to be a church that inspires people to develop a heart for God, we need to see that our service to others for Christ is never a small thing. May we not find our affirmation, if you would, in our position, but may we find it in our mission, knowing that together we're a part of something massively huge when we're serving others for Jesus Christ. I would hope that my messages, especially the content, uh, delivery is something every speaker has a different personality and that's all fun and Frankly, every passage is a bit different, calls for a different type of delivery. But I would really hope that the content of my messages would be inspiring each of us to develop a heart for God. But you know what I've learned long before I have an opportunity to stand up here and say, would you please take your copy of God's word and join me in turning today? Long before I do that, opinions have already been made. In fact, numerous studies have come out saying before a pastor even speaks, a guest has just decided whether or not they're going to come back. And I love the testimony today. You said when you heard Ryan and Leslie sing, you thought, man, I, I like it here. There's something going on here, and, and I want to come back. And, and, and I've come to understand as a pastor that I, I've got to do what God would have me to do. I need to study. I need to be diligent to rightly divide the Word of God, to teach the whole counsel of God, to read it, give the sense, cause the people to understand all of these great biblical expressions. But I want you to know that, that this work, although it's unique, it's not better than any other of the works that are done on this campus on any given Sunday. Long before a Bible is open, people are welcomed and directed in the parking lot. People are welcomed as they arrive. They are served by nursery and children's workers. They're shown a seat by ushers. They're blessed by a music team that has been preparing. And then there's a group we seldom think of unless they mess up. And that's the media team. And we don't think of them often because they mess up very rarely You see, it's everybody saying, listen, this is my thing to do. But it's a big deal because I'm doing it for others, but ultimately I'm doing it for God. There's nothing beneath us. We're not bigger than any task. We just need to say, God, what would you have for me to do? And that's what I want to do in my life. It's inspiring when we work together. I can't tell you how many people I've talked with over the years who've come to Christ at Coastline and and as they tell their story, invariably they'll mention the name of a greeter they'll mention the name of a song that was sung I've had people say you know it's when that song was sung I I decided in that moment I was gonna give my life to Christ that day people tell stories of how you have touched them and how you have encouraged them and blessed them inspiration comes from those who are big enough to do their part of the work in a big way that was David's story here's the second element I learned from his life he kept his eye on a cause that inspired him. He kept his eye on a cause that inspired him. If your Bibles are still open, let's look together in verse 26. Verse 26. This is kind of mid-story. David is now taking the food to his brothers, and he's milling about talking with those uh, in, in the uh, Israeli army. And the Bible says in verse 26, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I'm going to read on, but David sees Goliath, and he's standing there, and he's, he's saying, send your best guy out, I'll fight him. And, and David's excited. Yeah, he's a giant, he's a strong man, but, but he said he's an uncircumcised man, which meant basically he's not a follower of God, and we've got God on our side. And, and David said, what's going to happen to the, to the one of you that goes down And fights him, verse 27, The people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? So we've got David's big brother here. And uh, sometimes when we're in the process of doing something for God it will be people very close to us that can discourage us and hurt us and here's his brother he said oh you left those few sheep i mean he's just being uh you know just snide and cutting and he says to david i know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle and david said what have i now done is there not a cause is there not a cause It seemed that no one had a good answer for David. He's asking what's going to happen to the guy that beats Goliath and implying why is nobody out there fighting Goliath. But he finally comes to the place where he asks a rhetorical question. It was not the kind that needed an answer. It was the kind of question that was pointing out something that was missing. No one was doing anything. They were trying to maintain status quo. They were just trying to play it safe. They didn't want to risk it all. And and David just asked this question. He said, is there not a cause? In other words, he was saying, guys, this is bigger than any one of us. This is about the welfare of our entire nation. Let's get busy and serve a purpose that calls for our participation. I have found that those who live a life that inspires others do so by living an inspired life. They don't lack for a reason. They don't lack for a purpose. They know what it's all about. David, he kept his eye on a cause that inspired him. And friends, I want you to know, in the case of our church, there is no greater cause in the entire world than the cause of Jesus Christ. When it brings us together, we have every good reason to rally around it and say, God, would you help us to be a church that inspires others to develop a heart for you? I was finishing up my college, I had an opportunity to serve and work at a church in Tennessee, and it was a great opportunity for me, and it was a great privilege to learn from uh, my pastor, who was a great leader, a great preacher. Uh, I admired him greatly. Over the years uh, since I left, uh, I've I've seen him go through a variety of surgeries. He's got all kinds of metal in his back, and and, and, uh, he's had a bunch of surgeries. On one occasion, uh, in recovery, in the hospital, he literally fell out of a Recovery bed and landed on his hip and somehow a crushed a nerve uh, damaging his leg he has no feeling and so he he now has a horrible back and walks with a, a cane But you know when I was there and he was a bit younger He inspired me because he always wanted to see what's God gonna do next It was never a thought like, well, we're doing pretty good. Let's just try and keep the thing going as it is. It was never that way. It was, guys, let's get a bunch of squirt guns together and let's charge hell. I mean, let's do something big. Let's let's see who who else can be saved, who needs help, who can grow. He was always talking about a property they wanted to get or maybe something that needed to be uh, built, and and he always had a heart to see something move forward. And over the years, as I've seen him go through these various health difficulties, it has inspired me even more to see him now as he is as encouraged and motivated as ever. Ever to see let's see more done for jesus christ due to the the time change i have an opportunity sometimes on sunday morning to listen to him preach uh, this was already in my notes but i tuned in this morning he's telling the church hey we have a piece of property we can buy we need to keep moving forward and and uh, he said if you think it's hard to buy a property you ought to see how hard it is when we stop going forward and we just go ahead and give our our uh, our country over to the devil he said that's even more hard and he was just he was leading those people His focus on the cause of Jesus Christ is what motivated me when I was very young. And now that I'm still pretty young, it motivates me even more. There's nothing more inspiring than someone who is inspired. I think of the Apostle Paul's words when he wrote 2 Corinthians 4.16. He said, for the which cause? Paul said, I have a cause in my life. For the which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. You see, Paul, who was an incredibly compelling leader, he lived a life that pressed on through adversity because there was a cause that was, that was found in the person of Jesus Christ. His, his cause was not just about self-preservation or the easy path or, or what's convenient for me. He said, I'm living for a cause that is greater than I am. It's a, it's a cause that inspires me and that led to others being inspired as well coastline it's important for us to realize that our cause was not realized when our church got started our cause was not fulfilled when we got our first building or our second one our cause will not be completed in the first decade or in the second decade as we get ready to head into our 21st year I want you to know something this cause we have is really the only thing that should be leading us forward It's this passion for God and the desire to see people reach for him And I want you to know as we gather in this room on Sundays and we do our best to worship the Lord and to study his word I want you to know that within a five mile radius of our church There's about 230,000 people the vast majority of whom would not know what it truly means to have an authentic relationship with with Jesus Christ, I want you to know as I'm preaching here this morning, uh, there there are are marriages all around this community that are on the rocks in need of help and encouragement that Jesus can bring. There are people struggling with abuse and addictions, And, and friends, what I am saying today is may we never get over the fact that we have a cause that is greater than we are that we must pursue and serve in our lives. People need a church who will help them see the value of living for the Lord inspiring others to develop a heart for God. That is mission critical. For those who don't know Jesus, we labor so that they may hear of his good news and come to know him. For those who know Jesus and are out of fellowship with the body of Christ, our prayer is that they would understand that Jesus is the one that established the church and he created the church for us, not us for the church. He, he wants us to be a part of his body. And so for those who are out of fellowship, we pray that they would come back into fellowship. And for those who are in the body and are growing, our prayer is that they may continue to grow into maturity, a more complete maturity course we've had times of discouragement over the years i've had a few myself but you know i love the way david dealt with discouragement because he had a cause when he was discouraged he could keep going in first samuel 30 the bible says david was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and for his daughters but david encouraged himself in the lord his god Friends, when our focus is threatened by fatigue or fear or failure or fights going on around us, uh, we need to be called back to the fact that there is a God of love who has called us to live a life that makes its greatest impact. Listen, uh, I'm not against living a great life. Do well financially. I I preach sermon series on how to do all of those things. But I want you to know uh, that there there are some pretty miserable people who've made it. They've accomplished the American dream. Uh, They've got the house, a two-car garage, a white picket fence, and and they they have time to sit on the swing on the front porch. I'm not against front porches. I'm not against uh, the American dream. But for many, it's become the American nightmare because there's no deeper purpose other than their stuff god forbid that is a church that calls itself a christian church followers of jesus christ if we would miss what's critical to our mission getting the gospel out it's not about buildings this building program we're in it's not about a building it's about what happens inside of the building it's about people that need the lord We've got to have this understanding that that there is a cause that can lead us forward, can inspire us so that we can inspire others. And when we live for Jesus in passion, it's contagious to those around. And that leads us to the final thought I'll share with you this morning. He kept it all about the Lord. He kept it all about the Lord. So David was big enough to do small things well. He never became a big shot in that sense. He, he, he uh, was a man that had his eye on a cause that inspired him. And then finally, I just love the fact that David always kept it about the Lord. When David finally stepped onto that battlefield. The eyes of both armies were on him. I'm sure a lot of people thought this guy's out of his mind. Fighting a giant. And not only were all the eyes on David, all the ears were listening for what he's going to say next. The the, the giant had already made his threats and talked about all he was going to do to David. And when David spoke, he says to this giant, he said, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. You see, David didn't even say "It's, it's our armies you defied. He said, these are God's armies. You've defied God. This day the Lord will deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Why, David? Why are you doing this? That all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. There are few things in life as selfish as living for a legacy. Live a life of faithfulness and a legacy will take care of itself. Legacy is not the goal because that can be rooted in self. It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Live a life of faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And you know what you'll find? You'll find that God will allow your life to leave a legacy that can truly touch others. I love the fact that David wasn't out there trying to make a name for himself. He wasn't trying to do something to get in the history books, to get other people to recognize him and honor him. He said, no, I'm out here so that all the earth may know that there is a God. I love that. It was always about the Lord. As a pastor, I have no problem telling our church that we should vote. I think I can make a biblical case for the fact that we're to participate in government and we're to pray for our leaders and all these things. And in a functioning uh, democracy, uh, democratic republic, it it works only as we vote. Uh, I think it would be a, a bad thing for someone to be a follower of Jesus and to abstain from voting. I have no problem as a pastor telling our church we should vote. We should vote. Every voting season I say we should vote. In fact, some of these issues we think are contemporary issues, they're not, they're as old as the Word of God. I have no problem as a pastor, for example, saying God created the family, and God's plan was one man, one woman, one lifetime. I don't need someone to define the family for me, God invented it, the inventor gave us the definition. I have no problem saying that. I have no problem saying that life begins in the womb. I mean, there there are scriptures where the Bible speaks of that. I I mean, Jeremiah spoke about a time before he was even born when God was working in his life. I have no problem with that. But there are times where people push me to get political in the pulpit. And I'm so happy to tell you that I have a pretty big threshold for just ignoring pressure of that type. Because I am not a politician. I'm a pastor and I would be a weak pastor who ignored the Bible if I didn't say things like God created the family and life begins in the womb. I'm not saying that as a politician. I'm saying that as a pastor who's seeking to preach the Word of God. And as deeply as I feel personally about political issues in our day, it's not my primary cause to hold a political rally up here and try to Try to lead people toward a political agenda. I'm a pastor. I'm to open the word of God and teach the Bible. When contemporary issues are confronted by the Bible, you're going to hear me speak about them. By the way, I just did. But I want you to know that uh, my prayer is that we would keep it all about the Lord here, that we would lift Jesus high, that we would preach the gospel, that we would let people know there's hope in him, that when we stumble along the way that we can get back up because of his grace. And and I have found that when people grow in the Lord, they begin to vote their values as are found in the Bible. and, and, And that's a good thing. But our goal should be to keep it all about Jesus Christ and his message of salvation. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul said this, He he said, I determine not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. First Corinthians one, he said, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block and under the Greeks foolishness. It was a stumbling block to the Jews because they didn't believe he was the Messiah. It was foolishness to the Greeks because they were so in their philosophy, they couldn't wrap their minds around it. But Paul said, listen, uh, how people receive it is not uh, ultimately what's important. What is important is that we preach and teach the truth of Jesus Christ to give people an opportunity to hear it for themselves. I happen to believe that at the end of the day, every problem in society has sin as its most impactful contributor. As bad as that sounds, it's great news. Because I know someone who can handle sin quite easily. His name is Jesus Christ. I happen to believe if you get people that know who Jesus is and what he can do and begin to live according to the values found in his word, what you're going to find is a society that that is better than it was without Jesus Christ. The most inspiring message that could ever be preached is a message of Jesus' love and the fact that he died and was buried and rose again to provide forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven one day. David was big enough to do small things well. He kept his eye on a cause that inspired him. It was the cause of God. His eye was on the Lord, but when he Look to the Lord. The cause came along. with. Listen, don't look at people. They'll bum you out every time. He looked to the Lord. Look to the Lord. And he kept it all about God. And in time, his influence grew. And with this pattern, an entire nation was changed. He inspired them to develop a heart for God. You know, when that flight from New York to Miami lost focus of their mission-critical mission critical People suffered, a plane went down, and people died. And as a church, when we lose focus of our mission critical, people suffer, our church will go down, and souls that need life that is only found in Jesus Christ won't hear of that message through us. But if we as individuals will live what I've tried to share with you today, we're going to find that... Like David, we can inspire others. We can inspire our spouses, our children, our friends, our associates, and on and on. In church, as a church, if we live out what I've sought to teach and preach today, we'll see that we are not just fulfilling our purpose as a church, we are fulfilling Christ's purpose for our church. And before I close today, I just want you to imagine with me what your world Your family, your workplace, your friendships, what our world, our church family. Imagine what it would look like if we said, you know something? We have a cause in Jesus Christ, and it causes us, it it calls us, it compels us to inspire others to develop a heart for God. It's not always easy. David learned that. Sometimes you're criticized. In fact, all the time you'll be criticized. David learned that. But he said, I had never decided I was going to do what I was going to do in life because it was easy or it was the critical free route to take. He said, I'm just trying to do what God would have me to do. Oh, it's fun if people say encouraging things along the way. But wouldn't it be wonderful one day when you meet your Lord face to face if he could say, well, well done, good and faithful. And you can't hear good and faithful if you haven't been good or Faithful. David understood, if there was any goodness in him, it came from the Lord, and he wanted to be faithful to that which God had given him to do. Our Father, we're thankful today to take a look at a life of one of the primary characters in all of Scripture. And God, I pray that this would be a reminder to to all of us as individuals, as families, but Lord, in a special way in this season, I pray that to our church family, we would not forget that we have a purpose in you. And it all begins with inspiring people to develop a heart for God, helping those that don't know you to come to know you as their savior. Helping those that know you and are out of fellowship with your body to come back into fellowship. For those that know you and are are growing, our prayer is that they would continue to grow. God, may we be a church that inspires people to develop a heart for you. Help us, we pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed today. I love to tell our church as we serve Jesus, it's not about our position. It's about our mission.